On Tuesday, more than 11,000 television and film writers went on strike. They're members of the Writers Guild of America. And among those on the picket line was Michael Schur. And I'm striking because writing as a career is, being, is under threat. Mike co-created shows like Parks and Recreation, Brooklyn Nine-Nine, and The Good Place. And he's written for The Office and Saturday Night Live. Now, he's one of the members of the Guild's negotiating committee. So you're on strike now. How does that feel? Yeah, it, it doesn't feel good. I mean, I'm not sleeping well. Um, none of us is. Um, and I think it is just a testament to how dire we think the situation really is that we felt that we had no choice but to do this. Mike says streaming services have completely upended how writers get compensated and made the profession incredibly unstable. And we see where this is going, and where it's going is a gig economy. And that's not a recipe for long-term success, and it's not a system that will allow writers to have careers and lives, basically. So we're just saying, like, we see the future, and it's dire, and we have to do something about it now, or it'll be too late. So you feel like this is, like, more existential than just, you know, we need more compensation? Yes, 100%. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. It's Thursday, May 4th. Coming up on the show, why Hollywood writers are on strike. This episode is brought to you by Mercury. There's an art to making the complex feel simple. Everything should be in sync so that even the smallest part serves a bigger purpose. Simplicity can transform your business operations. That's why Mercury powers your financial workflows from the bank account, giving ambitious companies like yours the precision, control, and focus they need to perform at their best. Apply in minutes at mercury.com. Michael Schur started his career in 1998 as a writer on Saturday Night Live. After SNL, he moved out to L.A. to write for The Office, which became one of the biggest network comedies on NBC. Do you have, like, a favorite joke from The Office? Oh, man. Um, There was an episode I wrote uh, in, the I think, the second season where there's a kind of Christmas gift exchange, and... Uh, Jim is trying to trade with Dwight, and the thing that Jim wants to trade him is a shamrock keychain. And he says, uh, come on, take the shamrock keychain. It's good luck. And Dwight's response is, a real man makes his own luck. Billy Zane, Titanic. And I always I always just liked that that was the character from Titanic that Dwight identified with. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the villain in the Titanic movie is like someone that we can all strive for. Right. From Dwight's point of view, the, the real hero of Titanic was the rich guy who was double-crossed by his uh, conniving girlfriend or something. You know? <laughs> when you started your career, did you feel like it was going to be a lucrative one? Well, I mean, once I w- was stable in it, yeah, I absolutely did. I've said this many times, but, you know, the, the 50 hardest laughs I've ever had in my life 
came from a job that pays me a lot of money. I mean, that's <laughs> no one has that. No one gets that. But also, it is not the case that most people have the career track that I've had. Most people have to struggle to put years together. They work on shows that get canceled or, or a year goes by or two years goes by between jobs. When Mike began his career, TV writers had a lot of stability. When I started at The Office, you worked on a show and that show would make, if it were successful, you know, 22 or 24 episodes a year. It took a whole year to make it. You were paid by the episode. You would learn everything you needed to learn. You would learn how to write, rewrite, be on the set, talk to actors, deal with directors, work with the costumers and the props folks and the set decorators. You would go to edits and learn how to edit. You would go to sound mixes. You learned the whole job. The TV industry was good, but a lot was about to change. The first big thing in the mid-2000s was that studios started putting content on the internet, and writers thought they were being shortchanged. The dispute led to the union's last strike in 2007. Mike was on the picket line back then, too. You're watching this on the internet, a thing that pays us zero dollars. The strike lasted 100 days. Eventually, studios agreed to give writers a cut of the revenue generated from online videos. Those advances now give us a foothold in the digital age. Rather than being shut out of the future of content creation and delivery, writers will leave... But just as the 2007 strike was being resolved, the next battlefront was just beginning. The arrival of streaming. When streaming first started to appear on the scene, how did writers like yourself feel about it? We were thrilled. For a number of reasons. First of all, anytime a new company is making content, that's good for writers, it's good for actors and directors and everybody because there's more stuff being made. There was also this feeling that because the streamers weren't necessarily beholden to you know, overnight ratings, that they were taking much bigger chances. There were shows being made, people's ideas were being produced on streaming services that would not have fit into the box of network television. But in the end, when we look back now in hindsight, there were a lot of traps. Mike says that streaming made writing for TV much less stable. Instead of working for nearly a year on two dozen episodes for a network show. What has happened in the streaming model is, you know, the number of episodes has shrunk. Now the average season is, you know, eight, 10, maybe 12 episodes this sort of assembly line has been compartmentalized. So they do you do all the writing and then all the writers are let go. And then you do all the shooting and then everybody's gone. And then you do all the editing and then all the post. And as a result, writers are working fewer and fewer weeks. And so instead of getting a job as a TV writer means great, I have a job this year. It might mean great, I have a job for 10 weeks. And if things don't line up perfectly, um, then you maybe that's all the work you get for a year. And it's just become sort of unsustainable. It doesn't allow f- for writers to build a, a career and a life and pay rent and, and do all the things that you need to do to live in these cities. Los Angeles and New York are not cheap. The studios say writers are employed for an average of 20 to 24 weeks and earn at least around $100,000. They also say writers are usually eligible for benefits like health care, parental leave, and pensions. Having periods of time without work has always been part of writing in Hollywood. But writers have historically been able to get by financially, in part because of residual payments. The way that you stay in the business is that the pay structure the union established a long time ago 
gives you residual payments when your work is reused and reseen. And those residual payments compensate for the down years. That's the way it works. They get a residual payment when the movie is sold to HBO or, you know, Showtime or whatever, or when it's put on DVD. And now with the merging of theatrical releases and streaming releases, you know, you write a movie, it might be in theaters, it might go right to Disney Plus or something. Those residuals are dramatically lower and they're lower for foreign use too. And so people don't have the ability to stay afloat in the lean years in the way that they did, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago. The other big change brought about by streaming is the way that shows are greenlit. In the past, studios made just one pilot episode, and if a network liked it, they'd buy the whole show. But streaming services didn't want to make pilots. They wanted to launch full seasons. And then that was also expensive because sometimes they made full seasons of things that are even more expensive than pilots, obviously, and those didn't turn out that great. So they tried to find this liminal space between making a pilot and picking up a full season. And what they came up with has been popularly called a mini-room. And the idea was you write up for a script, they're not sure what to do. All right, let's get four or five writers together in a room for eight weeks, and you're going to break the rest of the season. You're going to come up with all of the episodes and maybe write a bunch of them, and then we'll make the decision based on this extra amount of data. And by the way, since we're not really picking up the show, we're going to pay you guild minimum. We're going to pay everybody guild minimum. The Guild says that about half of all TV writers are being paid minimum rates nowadays. The minimum weekly rates range from around $4,000 to nearly $10,000, depending on the experience of the writer and the number of weeks of guaranteed work. And you have eight weeks, and because writers, this is what we do, we get in a room and we work really, really hard on the most difficult work that ever happens on a TV show, the beginning, where you're figuring out who everybody is, how they relate to each other, what the world is, all that stuff. And they are essentially getting a full season's worth of work over eight weeks or 10 weeks where everybody's being paid the minimum. Because after that eight weeks is up, then the studio will take the script that's already finished and say, okay, now we'll turn it into a show if we happen to like it. Right. Or they'll say, like, we're going to mull it over. We're going to think about it for five months. Like, they're not under any time pressure. It's not in the old days... Again, the networks had a fall schedule and a spring schedule. There was a timetable. There there was a limited amount of time that they had to make decisions in. That's not true anymore. So this group of people might get together for eight or 10 weeks and turn it all in. And then they might sit around and wait for six months before they make a decision. And the writers who worked in that mini room can't just sit there and wait and find out if they have a job. They've got to go get another job somewhere. After the break, how writers would like to see the industry change. episode is brought to you by Natrol. Natrol is America's number one drug-free sleep aid brand, helping you fall asleep faster and stay asleep longer. Natrol melatonin gummies are made with clean ingredients like 99% pure melatonin to work with your sleep cycle, helping you sleep better, making the next day your best day. Natrol. Sleep tonight, live tomorrow. Shop now at natrol.com. This product helps with occasional sleeplessness. These statements have not been evaluated by the FDA. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent diseases. What does it mean to be rich? Maybe it's less about reaching a magic number and more about discovering the magic in life. At Edward Jones, our dedicated financial advisors are the people you can count on for financial strategies that help support a life you love. 
Because the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Learn more about our comprehensive approach to planning at edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Since March, the Writers Guild of America has been negotiating with the Alliance of Motion Picture and Television Producers, which represents big studios like Netflix, Disney, Warner Brothers, and Paramount. Their contract was due to expire on Monday night, but they couldn't reach a deal. So the writers went on strike. So let's talk about the negotiations. What are writers asking for? Well, it depends on what segment of the business you're talking about. Um, In episodic TV, we're asking for them to guarantee us a certain number of weeks per episode that we work. The amount of time we have to do our job is shrinking and the amount of money we're being paid per week is shrinking. And we're trying to basically put a backstop on that. How realistic is that though for just the way the industry, the pace at which it works and the way it works to say that there needs to be, and won't that sort of slow things down potentially if you're saying we need more time? No, absolutely not. Because the amount of time we're asking for is the amount of time we've always done this in. It's the, it's, just the standard amount of time that we've always had. And we just see it eroding and eroding and eroding, and we're just trying to put a backstop on it. But the time was based on the seasons, right? The fact that you had a fall schedule of shows and that shows did last from September to May. But now with streaming, shows aren't, there's no schedule, and shows, as you were saying, like are released at any time. There's no date they have to hit for anything. They can order anything anytime they want to, and they can release it anytime they want to. And so there is the only reason to condense the production schedule, really, and the and the pre-production schedule is to so that they pay people less. So we are trying to put guardrails around the concept of what it means to write a show. It's these guardrails that the studios seem most resistant to. The Alliance of Studios said in a statement that they've already offered, quote, generous increases in compensation. Studios say they're willing to pay writers more for mini-room sessions. And they're willing to pay more for streaming residuals, too. Though not as much as the writers are asking for. But they said they didn't want to budge on things like mandatory staffing. They say they don't want to be required to keep writers on staff if they don't think they're necessary. Because they say it's, quote, incompatible with the creative nature of our industry. One of the things I understand the the Guild is asking for is keeping writers employed for longer when the shows are being produced, which is a time period that the production companies say writers are no longer needed. Yeah, that's because they don't understand how television is made, I think. But how could that be? They're making television. (laughs) Yeah, that's a great question. The idea that writers are not needed when the show is being shot is absurd. On The Office, on Parks and Recreation, on Brooklyn Nine-Nine, on every show I've ever worked on, the writer of the episode and usually the creator of the episode and sometimes other writers are there. And while you're shooting a scene over and over again, they come up with new ideas. They pitch new jokes. They pitch new lines. And by the way, sometimes it's more than just one joke. Sometimes it's a big thing, a structural thing. Work is being done all the time on set. It is rarely the case Did you finish rewriting an episode of a TV show and you're like, this is perfect, have fun. And you just send it off into the ether. Like writing does not stop when you get to the end of the script in the writer's room. That's the first chunk of writing. The second chunk is while you're shooting it. And the third chunk is while you're editing it. And the idea that writers aren't needed for any of that is patently false. 
A lot of studios say this is a bad time to be making major changes to writers' pay. Most streaming services are losing money, and many studios are under pressure from Wall Street to cut costs. Warner Brothers, Discovery, and Paramount have all canceled projects lately, and companies like Disney have been laying people off. How do you respond to that? It's very funny. They say one thing on their investor calls and then a very different thing to us when we're in the negotiating room, right? On their investor calls, it's all rosy. We, we're going to make so much money. This is, we're going to be profitable very soon. We're going to make X billions of dollars over the next Y years. And then when they get in a room with us, they're like, guys, you've picked a really bad time to ask for a raise. And we're like, we read, <laughs> we, were, we read the notes of your call. We know how much money you're projecting. Do you know the way that they won't be profitable is if they don't have any TV shows and movies to put on those services. Like, if you want to use those streamers as the way to drive your growth, you got to pay for the content that goes on those streamers. And so that's my general attitude towards that. There's also a concern among writers about the rise of artificial intelligence and new AI services that are able to generate entire scripts based on simple prompts. We had a proposal to say, hey, you can't use AI to create literary material, which they just flatly rejected. And we put that in there because we also see that coming down the pike is like, well, why would they pay eight skilled writers to write a TV show if they can pay one tech company the cost of using their chatbot for a millisecond to create eight scripts? All of this stuff we're asking for is because the concept of of human beings working for a, a reasonable amount of time to create a product that has made them untold billions of dollars, we need a certain amount of time to do that. Just give us a certain amount of time. We're not asking to luxuriate in that time. We're not asking for 52 weeks of employment to write eight episodes of a TV show. We're asking for an amount of time that is commensurate with how much time we have always had to do that job. And the only reason we have to ask for it is because for the first time ever, they're trying to take it away. These streaming companies are are spending, in many cases, billions of dollars a year on content, more money than they've ever spent. But you're saying that now writers are getting less money than they ever really have before. So where is all that extra money going? Some of it is going to production budgets. There are shows that are where the per episode budget is, you know, $25 million. Like every episode of the show is essentially a feature film in terms of the budget. And in, if you watch, you know, any Game of Thrones type show, like every time a dragon breathes fire, that's millions of dollars that they're spending on that show. So that's not the problem. We're not upset. Writers are not upset about how amazing and awesome these shows look. What we're upset about is that they're attempting to save money on the writing in order to spend it somewhere else. And our argument is we're doing the same work. We're, we, you still need us to write those scripts. Like when a dragon breathes fire, that's a stage direction and a scene that a writer wrote. So the last strike in 2007 went on for 100 days. How long is the union prepared to go this time? We will go as long as it takes. Um, there's, there's no way to predict how long it will be. There is a tremendous amount of resolve in the union right now. When we took our strike authorization vote, it was 98% in favor of authorizing a strike. And the reason I think there is resolve and unity among the writers is that every one of us, regardless of what stage we're at in our careers, or what job we've had or haven't had in the last few years, we have all seen this coming. 
For now, the only shows that will really be affected are late night and sketch programs, which often air the same day they're written. Most scripted shows will be fine. They're already in the can for the summer and fall. But if the strike drags on, studios might have to turn to more reality TV or shows that are written and produced overseas. What is this strike going to mean for the writers? What it will mean is that we will recreate a path towards actually having this be your career and your life. As it was for me, as it was for hundreds and thousands of people who came before us, that this is a viable career, that this is a thing that you can do with your life is become a TV writer or a screenwriter, that even if you're not the most successful person in the union, this can be what you do. This can be your job. But Mike says the strike will be hard for a while. They're hard on the folks in the union. They're hard on all of the people who work in all of the productions who aren't writers. To some extent, if it goes on long enough and productions get shut down, actors and directors and all, you know, casting directors and all sorts of people are going to hurt. That's the nature of a union action is it causes pain. And the question is, can you endure the pain and how long do the companies want to let that pain go on? Well, and of course, as Billy Zane might say, a real man makes his own luck. <laughs> Good callback. Any any final thoughts? Uh, no, I don't think so. I'm I'm you know heading out to the picket lines now, so I'll be out there every day until this ends. Well, thanks so much for for talking with us. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. That's all for today, Thursday, May 4th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. And a quick note, some Gimlet employees are also represented by the Writers Guild of America, but they're not participating in this strike. Additional reporting in this episode by Joe Flint. Thanks for listening. See you tomorrow.